welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Good to uh, good to see you this morning. Be able to be together uh, to worship together this morning. We're going to uh, turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter four. As we continue in the series, <clears throat> Genesis. Over there. Well, the passage we're in this morning is the last half of um, chapter 4, and I I think I can safely say I've never preached from um, uh, the portion dealing with Lamech before. (laughs) Some some of you might might be like Sharon was, uh, who is Lamech? (laughs) So we're going to look in this passage, and I believe there's some things here for us um, that... um, Will help us uh, in our in our lives today. Well, last week Daniel began here in chapter four and talking about the way of Cain. It's actually a, 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 a statement or a, a phrase that Jude uh, used to refer to Cain's um, rebellion, his his attitude towards God that uh, we saw in that first part of chapter chapter 4. And we also uh, heard about or saw in the passage this division that's introduced into this first family. Uh, on, on, the one, on the one hand, you had uh, uh, Abel uh, being a, a man who, who obeyed God, who had faith in God and and then on the other hand, you had the man Cain, these two brothers. And Cain, although religious, really did not have a heart for God. Did not have a heart to worship God or obey God. And as we continue reading in chapter 4, we see that this division extends beyond uh, this, the immediate family uh, situation to become uh, two civilizations or two uh, families uh, that would be totally different in their attitude towards God. And so we see in chapter 4 that this heart attitude of Cain would be passed on to his children and to his grandchildren. And uh, we see in just this short record that uh, the Lord gives us here that in the seventh generation, the the, the, the great grandson or Cain, Lamech, would become even more separated from God, even more hardened in his heart towards God and his word. And so we have uh, this, this way of Cain that produced an arrogant and, and stubborn self sufficiency. And I believe that's what we see in this passage is this independence from God. This um, I'll do it my way is uh, Frank Sinatra made famous in his song, My Way. And uh, it's an amazing thing. I, I can't even remember the circumstances now, but 
I believe it was a relative of somebody that was in the church and uh, went to this funeral. And sure enough, uh, they sang or they played this song. I did it my way. What a what a testimony to uh, unbelieving heart, to to a rebellious and self-determined pride uh, that would not bow to the Lord. And this is the way of Cain. This is the way of the world around us that does not know God, or at least does not know Him as Savior uh, in a personal way, does not worship God. And it's easy for us to condemn the way of Cain. We can see it, we can identify it, and we can easily condemn it as wrong. But we must be careful that we don't adopt some of the same attitudes in our own hearts uh, that we would live day by day in humble dependence upon uh, the Lord. Let's look at this passage beginning in verse uh, 17. In case you missed last uh, Sunday, we, we looked at the beginning of chapter 4 there at uh, Cain and his... Um, anger because the Lord accepted Abel's offering and not his. Uh, Cain brought an offering, but it wasn't pleasing to the Lord. And, um, and so he, we're not told exactly the, you know, how God demonstrated that or exactly what was in Cain's mind, but we do know that he did not have a heart to submit to God. He was... He was bringing the required offering, but there was no worship in it. And so we see Cain rising up in anger and killing his brother simply because Cain didn't like it that God accepted him, accepted Abel, and not him. And so he saw the, the righteousness, he saw the, the faith in Abel, and it made him, made him angry. And you may have experienced that kind of reaction in the world uh, at times, that uh, people got angry at you just because you didn't go along with them. If you stood for what was truth or right, uh, you, you could get uh, criticized of being self-righteous or holier than thou or, or some title to, to lash out at you just simply because you wanted to obey God and please Him. Well, that's, that's the background of, of what we see here. And as a result, God sends Cain away from um, this, his presence, away from his home, and surprisingly doesn't immediately kill him, but uh, is, shows grace or mercy towards him. And... Um, even puts a mark upon him of some kind so that he is identified as uh, protected by God for revenge. And so in other words, some of the family, this is all family at this stage. And uh, the later family, the people that would be born uh, wouldn't take revenge upon Cain. God puts a mark upon him, sends him away, and he's living away from the presence of God. You see that in verse 16. Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. 
And there he talks about being away from the presence of the Lord. He's not only, he not only gets sent away from the immediate presence of the Lord, he's in a, in a, in a, in a real sense away from fellowship with God or this, this place where he was at before where God was there and represented there by believing um, Adam and Eve and Abel. And now he's... He's in the wilderness, both physically and spiritually. And that's where many people are around us today. They're, they're in the, spiritually speaking, they're in the wilderness, away from God. And when a person becomes hard-hearted and resentful like that, they're in a very dark place. And um, it's only by the grace of God that any of us are saved. But when a person becomes embittered like that, it's, um, it's only by the grace of God that, uh, that the light can come to them. And we see it not only impacted Cain, but it in- impacted his family that would be born after him. Uh, let's look in verse 17. He says, And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he, na- he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And to Enoch was born Ired, and Ired fathered Meujul, and Meujul fathered uh, Meushel, something like that, and Meushel <laughs> fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives, and the name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. And bore Jabel, he was the father of those who dwell in tents and had, have livestock. His brother's name was uh, Jubal, and he was the father of those who played the, the lair and the pipe. And Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naima. Verse 23, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. And if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And to Seth also a son was born, and he called upon and he called his name Enosh. And at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Well, in, uh, in preparing for this message, I was reading from Kent Hughes in his commentary on Genesis, and he he pointed out that the poem Invictus is a perfect example of the way of Cain. In other words, this attitude that we see in Cain that's passed down and in the epitome is revealed here in Lamech, this seventh generation son and his attitude towards God. Now, I want us to look at that poem because many of you know it, Invictus. Um, poem that was written way back in 1875 by, by William Henley and uh, it's been um, it's been remembered 
because it strikes a chord in the heart of so many people. And as far as the world goes, it is, um, it, it is something that's looked up to in man. This is uh, what the English would call a stiff upper lip, you know, or the this steely kind of determination and fortitude. And so it's not bad characteristics, this, this determination and, and, and being, you know, steadfast and staying with it and not giving up. But what's bad about it is it's all about me. And there, there's no God. There's no trust in God. There's no dependence upon God. Let's, let's, let me just show you these lines. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I think whatever God's may be for my unconquerable soul. That's what Invictus means, unconquered. And so you see the writer... Um, he doesn't believe in God. See, whatever gods there may be, I thank them. And you can see even in this short poem, he knows about God, the Bible. He knows about the Scriptures, but he has rejected the God of the Scripture. And so whatever God's out there, I, I thank them. Uh, the second line, he says, In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. You can see there that, um, that pride is I'm not going to bow to, to the circumstances, to the problem that I have. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. Speaking of the death that looms, and it's easy to talk about how brave you are, but when it comes to death, you see many proud people afraid, thinking about you know God, thinking about the realities of life and death. And in, in the last line in particular, he says, "It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul." You see, in those first two lines, reference there to the scriptures, the straight gate. Uh, to the, the, the narrow way of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, the punishments of the scroll, speaking of the judgments of God's Word upon those who, who reject Christ. He said, it doesn't matter about that. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Well, for the world, uh, this is all you have. This is the, the, this is the epitome of uh, self-will, and um, strength, inner strength, trusting in self. But for us as believers, we, we have much more, don't we? We have a Lord and a Savior who is with us. This testimony that we see in this poem and that we see in the way of Cain is a, is a testimony of, of one who's rejected the authority of Scripture. He's not willing to bow down to the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and and so we can we can identify it, we can see it, we can condemn it, but for us as believers, we've trusted Christ, but we are also tempted uh, to at times take over the reins of our life. 
we're, we're tempted to think, I must, I must take control. I must do it my way. I've, I've even heard people say this out loud. You, you may have thought it at times. The statement, I know what the Bible says, but... When, when they're really wanting to do something and they don't like what God has said and they're determined to go their own way and do their own thing, they said, I know, but... And they take on this attitude of Cain. This pride and self-will and independence from God and uh, what He has said for us and has for us. And on some level, I think we're all tempted by this pride and, and self-will. <clears throat> sometimes it's, uh, sometimes we, we exhaust our own abilities, our own um, wisdom. We try everything. And, and finally, we, we come to the point where we say, the Lord, I need you. Instead of starting with the Lord, sometimes we, 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 we try everything else but dependence upon Him. And so we need to daily be reminding ourselves that the Lord is the Master of my fate. The Lord is the Captain of my soul. Well, let's look at the, uh, at the passage here and we'll see this rise of the Canaanite civilization. That's what the Scriptures reveal to us here. And it's not the record that we would have expected you know, you read about Cain, about his um, his murderous anger, his his um, indifference towards you know, killing his brother, and uh, his you know his his selfishness. He he seems a bit remorseful, but he's only he's only feeling bad about his circumstance and in his attitude towards God, and and so we see him being sent out away from the presence of God. And we would expect to read that everything went bad for Cain. You know, that his life was miserable and there was, you know, nothing good. But instead, we see in his, you know, in his offspring, this prosperity. And especially when we come down to Lamech, we have the record of his sons and the development of a prosperous civilization. We see. Lamech's sons being known as, as innovators, inventors, uh, leaders in, in various fields of uh, enterprise and life in that day. Uh, we see Jabel inventing glamping. <laughs> if you know what that is, you know, glamping's like a, like a you know, five-star camping, you know. Well, not really, but he did invent tents in this nomadic... Uh, life of uh, animal husbandry and what became so popular among you know uh, the Jewish people in the early days think of Abraham and his descendants that uh, this was their life this nomadic life taking care of animals and uh, and so it was a pretty major to be said that you're the father of that also uh, his brother um uh, Jubal invented the stringed and wind instruments, and oh, that was that was very important. Uh, later development also in the nation of Israel, we see that. Uh, and then uh, the third 
son, it was mentioned, Tubal Cain, in, in the development of metallurgy and, and uh, all, the, all that that would come to represent, both in equipment um, and uh, swords and warfare and all of, all of that would come from that. And you think about these are great advancements in that day. Quite, quite of uh, important accomplishments. And, and you can think in our own day, anytime there's this cultural advancement and technology developments and all that, you know, there's, there's great potential for good in that. There's also the great potential for, for evil, isn't there? Uh, just think about in our, you know, the last 50 years. If, you, if you're that old, you can think about 50 years, but, but even 30 years, I mean, it's been amazing, uh, some of the d advancements, things, the way things have changed, and you, you can think of, um, you know, the, the internet, and computers, and how, uh, how that's advanced so quickly. Um, I can, you know, can still remember when you wanted to um, talk to someone you know, you, if you're lucky, you can get them on the phone. <laughs> or if you needed to work on a document, you had to be together. You had to get, do travel together and, and, you know, physically print a, a document and work on it. And, um, and I remember studying Afrikaans, you know, out of a big, you know, book and turn to front, turn to the back, compare it back and forth, back and forth, working through the book. You know, and now you can't, you can't really imagine that. It's like, you know, touch you know a word and there's all the information you know that you could ever hope to have on it <laughs> uh, such advancements for for good but think of the evil also and, and so we have um, this uh, what what uh, again Kent Hughes described as a paradoxical uh, reality of uh, civilization descending and ascending at the same time they, they ascended in, in advancements and developments, prosperity. At the same time, while they were advancing, they were also declining spiritually, moving further away from God. And, and don't we see that today? Well, we, we see our society, although it's advancing in many ways, more technology, more time-saving inventions, more ease of life, better living, conditions, and yet at the same time we see morally the, 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 the whole of, of our society almost around the world declining, turning away from God, moving away from what is right. And so this often happens, this, uh, this reality, and that's what we see in this uh, civilization of, that came from Cain at that time. And so, one of the interesting things that we see coming out of this, and some, one of the things that we struggle with, was that although the, this Canaanite civilization went their own way in, in rejection of God and His Word, uh, they, they were experiencing the common grace of God. God was uh, blessing them in, in, in the sense that they had... Uh, um, the ability, graces to, to develop and invent, to, um, uh, to advance. And sometimes we struggle with that. You remember Christ 
the Sermon on the Mount to Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 and 45, he says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. In other words, uh, be like your Father. And, and then love your enemies, even those that are persecuting you. And he goes on to say in verse 45, For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And sometimes we struggle with that, don't we? That reality. I can, I can imagine that uh, the, the believing... We're going, we're going to see right at the end here about Seth and, and this line of the Sethites uh, civilization that we're believing. And I can imagine that many times they look at these Canaanites and think, God, why don't you bring judgment upon them? <laughs> Have you ever felt that way or thought that way? God, why don't you deal with, with them? Um, Jeremiah struggled with that. Uh, this prosperity of the wicked. Uh, you remember Jeremiah, he's writing during the time when God's bringing a judgment upon Judah because of their rejection of God and their suffering all around him. And, uh, and, and Jeremiah looks and sees these, the wicked, the unbelievers that were pros prospering. And he says, why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous uh, thrive? You plant them and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. And Jeremiah is saying these people are religious. They talk about you, but they don't really have you in their heart. There's no genuine worship. And yet you bless them. They prosper. And so he's... He's complaining a bit about that. He's feeling, why is that happening? Lord, why, do, why aren't you judging them? Why aren't you bringing uh, you know, uh, retaliation upon them for their ways? And it's easy for us, especially if we're struggling. If we go through a time of uh, uh, maybe a financial struggle or a physical struggle, and, and it's easy for us to kind of lose um, our perspective. And we can look around and maybe see someone who's prospering and they don't love God. They don't fear God. They don't trust God. And it feels like everybody who's wicked is prospering. And it feels like everybody who's serving God is struggling because you lose perspective. You get so focused on your problem at the moment that it's easy to begin feeling like Jeremiah did. I think a good place for us to get a perspective that God wants us to have is in Psalm 73. If you'd like to look there, I want to take a few verses from this chapter because Asaph struggled with this very thing. And he even became envious and bitter about the prosperity of the wicked. Uh, notice this is in Psalm 73. Verse 2 and 3, he says, But as for me, this is as Asa looked back on his struggle. He's come through the struggle, but he's looking back on it now and he's writing about it. And he says, But as for me, I had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity 
of the wicked. And he continues describing how he was feeling and thinking and questioning. And as he feels sorry for himself, he, he says in verse 13, And in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. He said, even though I've tried to, to live for God and, and, and to be set apart for Him, it's, it's, it, didn't, it, didn't, um, it didn't prosper me. It didn't help me. And, and we can go down that spiral, spiral into discouragement, depression, we get our eyes off the Lord and trusting in Him and what He wants to accomplish, we, we can easily fall into that same pattern of thinking. Notice um, kind of the high point. He turns in verse um, 16. And uh, we see, he says, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. <laughs> Isn't that true? When we're discouraged, when we're struggling, it's wearisome, to, isn't it? It's wearisome. And, um, and Asa said, it, it wearied me to try to figure this out. <laughs> I couldn't figure out what God's doing. Why is He doing it this? He said, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. How true that is for us, isn't it? To, Asa had to go into the, the sanctuary, probably talking, speaking of the, the temple. But for us, in the New Testament um, age that we're in, this side of the cross, we, we can go to God anytime, can't we? Anywhere. The sanctuary for us is getting along with God and letting God be God in our heart and trusting Him. Letting Him give us discernment. And, and the first thing he mentions here is discernment about the end of the wicked. He calls it the end of the wicked. In other words, he considered it didn't. It wasn't just as he seemed. It seemed like they were just prospering. They're being planted and they're you know just prospering everywhere. But he but he had forgotten about there is judgment. It may not come when I want it, when I expect it, but there is an end to the wicked. In verse 18 and 19, he says, Truly, you set them, speaking of the wicked, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall uh, to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Terrors. And so he, he's just remembering, getting some perspective as he thinks about the, the bigger picture of what God's doing. And, uh, and many times we lose track of that in the moment. We, we only see what's right in front of us. But God says, you know, I have a bigger plan. I'm doing things that you don't know about. And sometimes He's doing things in our hearts. Sometimes He's using the wicked as He was doing in Jeremiah's time. He used the wicked to, to bring uh, judgment upon the, the children of Israel. But He would later judge Babylon also. And so, a second thing that he, uh, that he sees here, beginning in verse 21, is what I call perspective about true prosperity. What is really uh, a blessing from God? What is true uh, prosperity or wealth? 
verse 21, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. In other words, he's saying I was dumb as an ox. <laughs> Before, I was just like a beast of the field. I didn't know anything. But now, he says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me and you counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Amen. That's, that's the reality, isn't it? That's the testimony uh, that the Lord wants us to bring us to, that all these things around us, all these things that seem like they're so important, there's nothing compared to this fellowship that he's describing, he's describing the Lord as holding his hand and guiding him and giving him counsel and, and, and one day receiving him into glory. And he said, there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Uh, that's where God brought him back to, uh, to trusting in God and realizing the true value of things. Um, and if we have the Lord, we have all that really matters. And the Lord, besides that, gives us so many blessings, doesn't He? Not just things, but more importantly, relationships, uh, the peace of God, and the joy of, of being able to live for Him. Uh, those are, that, that is true wealth. True prosperity. Well, let's go back into the passage here. We want us to see this man Lamech and the depravity of the heart, the, the way of Cain had led to a, to a place in this line of, uh, of descendants. And it was a truly a dark place. So the first thing we, we learn about Lamech is that... Um, he had taken two wives. He may not have been the first, but he's the first recorded uh, man who uh, took two wives. And we see in that a, a total disregard for God's plan for marriage. He rejected God. He rejected God's wisdom about marriage. And so he, he takes two wives. He turns away from the command God had given to, to Adam uh, about in verse 24 of, of Genesis 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And we see the disastrous impact upon Lamech's example in the rest of uh, the Old Testament, really. Even in, even in believing Israel, there was this impact uh, of uh, taking wives and how that, that was a, a blight upon Many uh, of, you could, you could say, the fathers of the nation. And, and the sorrow and the heartache it brought upon their lives. And how that uh, society had been impacted for even after the flood by Cain's example of um, disregarding God and his plan. Well, we see... Lamech's song in verse 23 and verse 24, and you may have in your Bible there uh, noted or, or set aside to show that it's a, it's a poetic 
a couple of, of lines there, his song. <clears throat> and and it, is a, it is a song that reveals the, the arrogance of his heart. <clears throat> uh, whereas Cain was indifferent about the murder of his brother, Lamech boasts about it. He's bloodthirsty. He, he's proud of the fact that he killed this young man. And the, the word there is used of a, it says young man. It's used of a, of a very young man. And uh, he boasts that if God had promised a sevenfold revenge to anyone that, uh, that killed Cain, then he would give us a 77-fold revenge upon anyone who tried to kill him. And so you see this, this kind of arrogant, boastful person. Uh, some have identified this as the sword song. They've imagined that as Lamech struts about before his wives, he's waving his sword, no doubt from his son's you know, metalwork, uh, singing his song. Boastful arrogance about killing this person who, who wounded him or attacked him. And now he's killed him and he says, if anybody tries to kill me, I'm going to bring a not just seven-fold revenge, but seventy-seven-fold. In other words, a flood of revenge. He's eager for, for revenge upon anybody who, who tries to harm him. It's interesting, <clears throat> that phrase there, the seventy-seven-fold. Does that sound familiar? <clears throat> Christ would, would, would say the same thing. In Matthew <clears throat> Verse 18, I think I have it for you here. <clears throat> Chapter 18, verse 21-22. Uh, Peter you know, comes to him and asks him, How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Which is seven times is like, you know, it's complete. It's like, this is, this is the ultimate. And uh, Christ says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. The same phrase that uh, Lamech had used about revenge. Lamech says, I'm going to bring a flood of revenge upon them. Christ is saying, no, you bring a flood of forgiveness upon the person who wrongs you. What a contrast, right? And, and that's who we are as Christians, as followers of Christ. We're, we're, not, we're not in the way of Cain. We don't have the attitude of Cain. The wor that's the world. And if we're not careful, we'll let the world influence us to think that we can take revenge upon something that's done against us. Boy, if they did that to me, then I'm going to do that, or I'm not going to speak to them, or I'm not going to have anything more to do with them. That's the, that's the way of Cain. And God comes to us and He says, No, Peter, you be willing to forgive them 77-fold. Just a flood of forgiveness. And so the Lord is speaking to us this morning as we see this uh, attitude of Cain and Lamech. And we see a dark time in this early history. But God gives us a glimmer of light here in these last couple of verses. In verse 25, we see this uh, Sethite 
civilization that uh, came about. In verse 25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Well, what we see here in this short um, condensed statement about uh, this line of Seth is faith and worship. Uh, first of all, the faith of Eve when she is given a son. She says that he is her offspring. He says, he is a, God has appointed for me another offspring or literally seed. And if, you're, if you remember, that was the promise God had given that her seed... And Daniel preached about this, that her seed, her offspring, would, would conquer Satan, the, the serpent. And, uh, and so we see God's grace here in giving another son, fulfilling his plan, fulfilling his promise. And through the line of Seth, the Messiah would come. And you can go, you can go look at the genealogy in Luke, and you'll see that traced right back to Seth and to Adam reminding us of God's design, God's plan, God's um, sovereign working out His plan of redemption. And, and we see Eve's faith in that. She, she believed God. And she's thankful and she said God has appointed. That, that rhymes, sounds like the word, the name Seth. It's a word for appointed. And so she has faith in, in believing uh, what God had said. We also see worship in this Sethite line of uh, a family. And it said that people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And, and that word there, to call upon, uh, is used many times in the Old Testament. And it's often used to also proclaim or to call out. In other words, they're, they're proclaiming the name of the Lord. They're, they're calling upon the name of the Lord. So you, you, could, you really ought to see more in this than just praying. They're also proclaiming uh, the Lord. The Lord is on their lips. They're, they're talking about the Lord and what the Lord has done for them. And so there is worship in this family, whereas the Sethites were known, in, as what's revealed for us, they're known for their advancement in society and development and, and prosperity. The, the, the Canaanite, I mean the Sethite family is known for their worship. Calling upon the name of the Lord. That, that should be our testimony. We, we can do many things in the world. We can, we can make money. We can, we can even be inventors and, and, and prosper and, and do all, all kinds of accomplishments. But there's no greater accomplishment than being known as someone who worships the Lord. Who calls upon His name. Who proclaims Him. And so we see in, in this account of these society, this, there's two, this division. There's a clear division between these two lines of, of people coming from these two men, Cain and then Seth. And there is a people on the, on the one hand that left God out of their lives. 
have no place for him, no time for him. They become arrogant even towards him in his word. And then on the other hand, a people of faith, a people that believed God and worshiped him and called upon him and, and spoke of him, proclaiming him to those around him. And, and I think we, it's safe to imagine that those that believed God were in the minority. I think it's safe to assume, especially as you get to the the family of, of Noah, you realize that um, he has become more and more alone. And so from the time of this time this account till you get to till you get to Noah, there's evidently been a decline in those that called upon the name of the Lord. Until only Noah and his family are believing. Truly a, a dark account of of the, of the decline of society. No doubt they're still advancing, still prospering in many ways, but spiritually, they're declining. And so the, <clears throat> the takeaway uh, that, that we have this morning is don't let your heart be turned away by the glitz and the glamour of the world. Don't become jealous or envious of the wicked around us who at times it seems like that they're not serving God, they're not, they're not giving their, of their wealth to God, they're even cheating, being dishonest, and they seem to be prospering. Uh, don't, be, don't be jealous of them. Leave, leave them to God and have compassion upon them. You remember Peter reminds us that uh, what, what seems like a long time for us, a thousand years, is like a day to God. He doesn't, he doesn't have the same time accounting that we do. And he, will, he does many times delay. What seems to us like delaying is compassion, is God giving the lost opportunity to be saved, extending grace. And so, as we think about the wicked, let your heart be filled with the love for the Lord, for what He has done for you and who He is. Uh, call upon Him. Proclaim His name. Follow Him. And we can have the same faith in worship, remembering that the Lord Jesus Christ, He is our master. He's the master of our fate. He is the captain of our soul. And especially when life gets troubled. I, I gave you this image here on the screen of the ship and the storm and the rocks and, and the dangerous places um, to remind you that um, who do you want at the helm? <laughs> are you going to steer your life? Or are you going to let the Lord be your captain? Let Him be your master. Let's pray together. Thank You, Father, for the challenge from Your Word this morning that we would uh, rest in You. We would rest our hearts and our minds in You, Father, and trusting You. As we look around us in the world, it's easy to become discouraged and distracted by all that we see around us. And, and sometimes we... 
We, we question, Lord, why don't you do something about what's happening? And so, Father, I pray that we would just rest our hearts to trust in you. And be content that you are in control. And that you know what you're doing. And that we would, uh, uh, day by day, uh, depend upon you and rest in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.